Sarah, and I'm a heroin addict. Um, I am also an alcoholic. I pretty much will abuse anything and everything. I like it all. I am equal opportunity trash can for substances. Um, so I'll share with you guys like my story, but I just want you guys to remember beforehand, like this is my experience and these are the things that I feel because of my experiences and my opinions. So nothing I say doesn't like has to be solid or like it doesn't have to be, it might be a fact for me, but it doesn't have to be a fact for you, you know? Um, sorry, I'm very nervous, but <laughs> um, so I'll share my story. Um, and if you guys relate to the experiences or like what I think is most important to the emotions that I felt throughout my life and throughout my journey to recovery, then I'll tell you like, how I did it and how I got to where I am now and what it is like now. Oh. Um, to qualify, I grew up in a family that was not normal by any means whatsoever. Um, I used to really resent it, but now I look at it today and it's like probably, it was a really, really fucking interesting childhood. Um, I was definitely, a, I was definitely always a victim I loved playing victim, um, even starting off as a little kid. And I think um, a lot of my experiences made it really, really easy to do that. Really easy to be like, what was me? Uh, I was uh, born into the Jehovah's Witness religion. Um, around five years old, I was molested by another Jehovah's Witness. And I don't know how long that abuse took uh, place for, but it took place for quite a while, I would think. Um, and that was like, I think that was the first time in my life, like I had felt hopeless and anxious and um, a lot of really crazy emotions. I don't think a five-year-old should be feeling. I remember puking almost every day because like I was so stressed. Um, I remember being like, <laughs> It's already, I'm already a weird person, but I was a really fucking weird kid. And the Jehovah's Witnesses definitely like helped with that. And then just, I am not like, I'm totally neurodivergent for sure. <laughs> but um, I was bullied a lot too. So I remember being bullied and like running out to the playground and puking because of that too. Um, and as I got older, you know, I continued to have panic attacks and I continued to feel empty, you know? Um, I never felt like a lot of connection. Uh, I didn't feel connection to myself. I didn't feel connection to the, the religion I was a part of. I didn't feel connection to my parents. Um, I didn't feel connection to like the outside world. Um, first of all, my religion uh, wouldn't let me have much connection to the outside world. Um, people who weren't Jehovah's Witnesses were called worldly and we were to have no association with them. Um, we were also to have no association with like holidays or birthdays or um, the army, anything like that. Politics, we weren't allowed to vote, um, weren't allowed to join the armed forces. Um, and that lack of connection, like, carried out as a theme throughout my life. I don't think I ever really learned how to build proper connection because of that. Um, 
as I got older, you know, my addictive tendencies started to come out. It started to come out first, like with food. Um, food was my source of comfort. Um, it was the only thing that I think gave me like any, any feeling of relief when I was young enough, you know? There wasn't much else that I would find relief in. There wasn't much else I was allowed to find relief in. Um, and as I got older, it became things like video games, TV, self-harm, you know, until, um, until I was about 14 years old and started smoking weed. And literally the first time like I smoked weed, someone was like, you should really try ecstasy. Like it's really great. <laughs> so it wasn't too long before I hit that one, but um, you know, the first thing that I gave drugs was all my negative feelings, you know? And at then there was no price to pay for it. You know, I could still wake up the next morning and be okay. And I had, a, I had for the first time in my life, a sense of relief and it really filled this gap that I felt between people, you know, between myself and others, even between me and myself, you know, um, it made it a lot easier for me to connect. It made those experiences not seem so, uh, so daunting and so far away, you know. Um, so not long after starting to do ecstasy, um, did a lot of ecstasy and a lot of drinking. And I realized that, uh, you know, what I really liked in ecstasy wasn't the ecstasy. What I really liked in ecstasy was meth. And um, yeah, meth was great. I really liked meth a lot. If you see a 15 year old kid on meth, like it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and how my parents never knew, like, I don't know, but um, you know, I continued to use drugs as a coping mechanism. Um, and it was a great coping mechanism for a while. I feel like I couldn't handle the world whatsoever. Um, I couldn't handle the world. I couldn't handle my emotions. I couldn't handle other people, you know, and, uh, it became the easiest way out. And, you know, I thought drugs were the greatest thing ever and alcohol was the greatest thing ever because through it, like I made friends, you know, for people I thought was fr were friends. I went to parties, you know, drank, got in trouble, all that shit, but at least I was doing it with other people, you know? And like I had mentioned before, I had lacked connection my entire life and I was so desperate for any connection whatsoever, um, whether it be good or bad, you know? Um, Around this time too, you know, I started dating other drug addicts. Um, when I was 16, I dated a guy who was 19 who um, introduced me to quite a few different things. Uh, and he was the first experience that I had with like taking somebody to rehab or even realizing rehab was uh, a choice. And it fucking terrified me. Um, I come from Dallas, Texas, and yeah, and uh, <laughs> the South Side. Of, fuck off. 
<laughs> the south side of Dallas, Texas is not nice. It's a very shitty area, but they have one of those like free like Charlie Street rehabs there. And I remember taking him there and taking like the train all the way out there to go see him. And like this place made them run like fucking miles every day. <laughs> and like they're in a shitty fucking facility with bunk beds. It was dirty, like, and now it's like my idea of rehab was just a bunch of old men yelling at you and telling you to run. So I was like, yeah, this isn't for me. Also, I'm not an addict. I'm fine. Um, that was my first experience with homelessness too. You know, um, I followed this guy into a lot of horrible things. Um, and once again, it's because I was so, so desperate for a connection. I didn't fucking like this guy. I really didn't, but he gave me attention and he gave me just a, the tiniest little bit of like fake and false security, but it felt very real, you know? Eventually, you know, he got arrested, went to jail for a few years and I never saw him again. And I was personally very relieved at that because um, my thing with connection too is like, I'm so afraid of losing it, whether like it's, good or bad for me that I won't cut it off doesn't matter when I will stay until I'm fucking miserable and until the other person realizes that I'm miserable which makes them miserable and they finally leave you know um so after that you know he was gone and course I started dating another drug addict and he was a heroin dealer and I was like this guy's cool he does he deals heroin in Dallas Texas which is like not a bad area <laughs> so I was like wow street cred fucking white girl from a nice area of Dallas I was like I'm cool other people are going to college and stuff but my boyfriend sells heroin. <laughs> my aspirations are very high. Um, <laughs> and that's how I got introduced to opiates. You know, I had a, throughout my teenage years, I had started the meth addiction, which I then traded for some reason for cocaine. And then I was introduced to opiates honestly way before that but I had always liked them but this was my first time like having a solid connection to opiates and you know I had known from like the very first time I had ever used them like that this was it I love this this is the most connection I've ever felt to like the fucking universe or anything you know and you know, I, uh, I justified my daily use by the fact that, um, you know, I was like, I don't really like smoking weed. I don't really like drinking. I work all the time. Um, so I, I have my one thing and my one thing is like doing opiates and that's okay. Like, um, around that time too, as soon as I had turned 18, I had moved out of my parents' house and had gotten my own apartment and found a job and like, um, I felt like I had something to prove in life um, because I was beforehand, I was this sad, and I'm still fucking sad, but I was this sad victim of a cult 
with shitty parents and shitty life and was not going to be anything more than just a drug addict. So I love home. I've got my own place. I put myself into school and I actually did like really well for a while. I maintained this happy lifestyle, um, or at least what seemed like happiness to me. Um, and I started like really living my life in a very high but real way. Um, I, I started like experimenting even more, you know, it didn't matter what it was, I was willing to do like anything and that included like outside experiences. Um, I think one of the craziest things I did was uh, <laughs> I skydive for fun. <laughs> I know Josh, I know. I skydive for fun, that's been my hobby for a while. Um, I've never done it without being on fentanyl though. I was literally the girl <laughs> who's nodding off in the airplane. <laughs> It would jump out and be like, yeah. And I'll tell you what, skydiving is the best way to kill your fucking high. <laughs> it will disappear instantly. But yeah, I used to literally jump out of a fucking plane from 13,000 feet in the air, high as balls, like can't even fucking stay awake in the airplane. When I get on the ground, can't even fucking stay awake on the ground. Like, and I'm supposed to be packing a parachute. Like, I had zero concern for my life or other people's lives. Um, <laughs> yeah, I it's stupid shit like that, but like um, I was in this like area of my life where it's like, oh, self-discovery through heroin. <laughs> um, I did have a lot of fun when I was using though. You know, I had a lot of fun. I went out all the time. I partied, like, went on vacations. I did crazy stuff like skydiving. You know, I, like, uh, I lived, like, a pretty fun and, like, what I felt like at the time was meaningful life. And I felt like I was, like, I'm going to be able to do opiates forever because I have zero consequences for them right now. Um, and it wasn't too long after that that... Uh, I have, me and men is always a great subject. Uh, I met another drug addict, who I didn't realize was a drug addict, but I'm always attracted to them. I can like sniff them out, you know, uh, who was my skydiving instructor. And yeah, teacher student kind of thing. <laughs> But uh, we started dating and about three to four months after we started dating, um, he got in a very serious accident. He was skydiving, um, hit the ground at about like 60 miles per hour and bounced about 90 feet and he snapped both his femurs in half and broke his back and was hospitalized for months. Um, and I had always had like bouts with depression, but now, um, I was 20 years old and I was now responsible for another person's life. Um, he didn't really have family, you know. Um, he couldn't go back to his house. His house wasn't wheelchair accessible, you know. So I took on the, the role of caretaker, you know, and I did it 
This is how fucking selfish and self-centered I am. I didn't even want to be with this guy either. I don't fucking want to be with him. And he was already saying shit like, I love you. But in my mind, I didn't want to be the girl that left a guy who was fucking in a wheelchair. You know? And I literally stayed in this relationship for my own fucking ego. Like, that is how fucking selfish and self-centered I am. And that's disgusting in almost a way, you know? Um, but the stress proved to be like way too much for me. I was 20 years old and I thought I could take care of another human being, like literally go to work for them, pay for their food, pay for their rent. You know, I had to pay for my apartment. I had to pay for his too. He needed a wheelchair accessible apartment. And I took on way too much. And I think that was also, that was ego. And that was still like, I still, even though I really didn't want to be with him, I still wanted connection. You know, I still didn't want to be alone. Um, but that's also when my drug use started getting really bad. So this is when I started actually paying consequences for what I was doing. Um, started opening credit cards and maxing them all out. Uh, I got arrested with uh, opiates on me. Um, I spent a few days in jail, how to deal with that. Um, I started to wake up in the morning with like really severe withdrawals and I didn't have enough money anymore to like really support an addiction. Um, and it just kind of snowballed from there. There was so much guilt, so there was so much shame. I was still playing the victim, you know, and it snowballed into me thinking that the only way out and the only way that I was going to be able to make enough money to support my addiction and support my boyfriend was to be a stripper. So I started stripping, just like great solution. Perfect. Um, and if we really get honest and really get deep about it, that was an ego thing too. Cause uh, you know, I said, I wanted to do it for my boyfriend, but I just wanted to be viewed as a girl who went to like any lengths to take care of her people. And I also just wanted enough money to fucking get high every day, you know, and not have to worry about it. I didn't care that I was fucking selling my soul. I didn't care the danger that I put myself in. Um, and I put myself into a lot of it. Stripping was not easy. It was not fun. Um, I set myself up to be sexually assaulted again and again and again, um, be mean. And it, I swear to this day, it has taken a piece of my soul. Um, I saw things and I had things done to me that I would never want to repeat or talk to uh, to another person. Things I've shared with my sponsor, but things I don't think I'll share with anybody else ever in my life. Um, and that just, once again, it kept that snowball effect. It kept it going. I kept using more, more and more. And I started reaching this level of like mental instability. Um, I had always kind of prided myself on the delusion, and when I say delusion, very large delusion of that I was very pragmatic throughout my entire life. And for some reason, finally, I couldn't, I couldn't control my emotions anymore. Um, I, I was miserable. Um, I was broken. I was miserable. I was so unhappy. So many horrible things were happening around me. I, 
don't want to take the time to list them all off. Um, but, you know, I was so broken. And the last thing I had was like my, what I felt like was my emotional integrity. And that was out the window, you know? And at this point in my life, like, I tried to quit so many times. I had thought like, maybe the perfect guy will come around and I'll quit. Maybe the perfect job will come around and I'll quit. Maybe if I do this, I'll quit. Like, there's so many things that, like I'll start school and I'll quit, you know? I'll take, I'll get the Suboxone and cut it off into enough pieces and fucking quit. And I'll take, then I'd take all the fucking pieces all at once, you know? Um, and then this time of my life, my very first time in my life, I looked at the future and I saw nothing. I saw nothing for myself. I didn't see school. I saw an endless life of stripping and fucking just the only thing do, that I would do every day was get up, put $2 in my gas tank, enough to go to the drug dealer's house, wait there for like two hours, get high, come home, watch Netflix, sleep repeat maybe throw a shower in there once a week kind of thing you know um and I realized like you know I'd always had that delusion that I was like oh I'm gonna quit one day I'm gonna quit one day and it's gonna be fine I can do it all by myself I come from a family of addicts both my brother and my dad both got sober pretty much on their own you know um and I you know, I actually realized like it's never gonna end. And that was the most, yeah, like I said, that was the most hopeless and broken I had ever felt. And I remember driving to work one day and I sat in the parking lot, like I did it plenty of times, like trying to get through my anxiety of going in, but this time like I just broke down. And I saw no options for my future. I saw no options for myself. I saw no options for relationships or friends or, and the only option I saw was like, to either, the only option I really felt was viable was to kill myself. I honestly, at the time, didn't even know rehab was a choice, but it came into my head to a point where like, and, I knew rehab was a choice, but I didn't like the choice of rehab, especially with the experience I had before. But I got to a point of desperation where I was like, fuck, I'll take anything. And I ended up calling a rehab in Texas. Um, they took me in about two weeks later. And that was my first experience with AA and recovery. Um, and I think it was exactly what I needed. Um, I was terrified, I was scared, I was broken, and I stepped into a rehab in Texas, which is not like the nice rehabs out here. The rehabs out here are beautiful, and like their houses. Rehab in Texas is a facility, once again, with bunk beds, like everything's on site. You get one 10 minute phone call a week, no TV, no music, no, um, no books that aren't recovery related, like that kind of shit. You know, um, and I was like, this is going to be horrible, but I ended up being one of the best experiences of my life. This is the first time I think I experienced real connection. I was stuck in a group of like 20 other girls where we had literally like nothing to do but go to groups and talk to each other. And within 30 days, like, I think um, I had built these really strong and like deep and meaningful relationships for the first time in my life. 
and that was like a feeling that I had never felt before. Like I didn't owe these people anything. They didn't owe me anything, but we still were good with each other. We still loved each other and we loved each other unconditionally. And we were still there to build each other up and we were still there to call each other out. But um, in my delusional mind though, I was like 30 days and I'm cured forever and I was like AA is not for me I grew up in a cult so I'm not going back to one <laughs> fuck you fuck you you're cool fuck you I'm out and it took me about 36 hours to relapse right after that um this was my first experience with uh you know mental health is part of my story too this is my first experience with mania um I started getting manic in the treatment center and that was the first time someone had ever called me out on it too <laughs> And I left there fucking thinking I was on top of the fucking world, like life was going to be perfect. And so like, oh, you know what makes life like really perfect is the fact that I can do drugs now and I can wake up not in withdrawals the next morning. But um, I learned very quickly that one night, saying I'm only going to do it one night, turn into two nights, turn into three nights, turn into four, turn into weeks later, and turn into a time where I was finally waking up once again in full withdrawals, and I was miserable. Um, this only lasted about two months, and that was, uh, that was actually my one and only relapse, and I think at least so far, it's been my one and only relapse because I waited to come to treatment and I waited to get help until I was completely fucking desperate and broken and I'd hit my bottom and then I went further. You know, I had hit these bottoms and kept fucking digging. Um, so October 15th, 2018, I came out to California on the suggestion of my old therapist and I started treatment out here. Um, and I was not the greatest fucking client in the beginning. I was a fucking terrible client. I was argumentative. I didn't believe in AA. I hated myself and I hated everybody else around me. I think I was really annoying. Such annoying as shit. <laughs> Poor Josh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, and, you know, I was still seeking connection I was still seeking something that could fill this void inside of me um, and when he took the drugs away I didn't have anything left you know connection with other people kind of helped but it wasn't it wasn't everything that I it didn't fill it you know it may have like put a drop or two into that void but it, it definitely didn't fill it um, so I started dating somebody from my rehab, rehab romance, always a great idea, ends up in 100% success rate every time. <laughs> and I was thinking, I was thinking the thoughts behind my actions were, uh, I don't feel good inside of me, so maybe he'll feel good inside of me. <laughs> 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 so I thought that was like, perfect answer and it didn't work out <laughs> um he relapsed he relapsed a few times and 
you know, I still had no desire to go with him. Um, but I did get to a point in my sobriety, my early sobriety, where I was so fucking miserable. I was ready to do anything. Um, that was my first bottom in sobriety. I've had a few, you know, and I think that's part of like the spiritual experience for me sometimes, but, um, I started working steps and like, lo and behold, things got a little bit better. Things got a little bit better and better. They weren't perfect. I was still very emotionally unstable because of my mental health issues, but like it made my life a little bit easier to handle. It made these things inside of me easier to handle. I started building connection with the higher power. And that's when I started feeling like things were enough. You know, I wasn't pining after things I couldn't reach. I wasn't thinking about my old life. Like I was okay with where I was in the present. And yeah, like I, everything was fine just right there and then. Um, unfortunately, I, re I reached another bottom in my sobriety due to my mental health, that's a whole other issue. Um, when I got that fixed up, I actually got an even better connection to my higher power. Um, and it was amazing this experience I've had now doing my steps, like um, my first round of steps were great and they were exactly what I needed at the time. My second round of steps have been this like really, really deep like exploration of the big book and sobriety and it has offered me so much, but that's like one of the most important things I've been doing is like taking these actions. You know, I practice contrary action every day. And that was a big thing in my early sobriety too, was practicing contrary action. Every time I didn't want to fucking do something because like, I don't really like people. So I don't really like going to meetings and I don't really like <laughs> talking to people or becoming friends. Mm -hmm. And that's also a lie too, because like I desperately seek connection, but I'm so afraid of it and so afraid of other people that I'll like avoid it altogether. But I practice contrary action and you know, I made these commitments to meetings. I made these commitments to myself. I made these commitments to like doing panels. And even when I felt fucking horrible, I still showed up and I felt a little better every time, you know, and I did that with every other part of my life. I practiced this contrary action. And I applied like these steps to my life. You know, I started relying on a higher power. I didn't know what the fuck it was or what it could be or what it even is now sometimes. I started relying on something bigger than myself. I was no longer the center of the universe. Um, I did searching a fearless moral inventory and realized how fucking ridiculous I am and the stupid shit that I, like, I tell myself in the delusions. Uh, I shared that with another person. I shared everything about myself with another person. Then I got a list of my character defects and I observed them. I didn't try to remove them myself because that's not my job. I prayed for them to be removed every time they came up and tried to maybe practice contrary action if that was available. Um, I became willing to uh, make amends to the people and fix the records I had made. Um, I cleared up most of that wreckage. Still working on it today. Financial amends take a long time. Um, I continued practicing all my principles in my everyday life, you know, and catching myself when I would start to fuck up throughout the day. And now I have like a nightly retreat where I check in throughout my day and then I have a morning meditation, you know, and now I sponsor others and I take other women through the steps and 
all of these things, applying all these things to my life, like I get to be okay with who I am today. I get to actually like myself. And that is something I never thought was gonna be possible. I'm comfortable. I am happy. Like happiness honestly isn't the goal for me because happiness kind of is like an unattainable thing. If that's your goal, it's gonna, I think it's gonna lead you to some really dark places. But my goal is, and my goal is now, and what I have now is purpose. And purpose, the purpose I have is to help other alcoholics and serve others in whatever way, in whatever way I can, you know, whether it be through AA or whether it be through fucking just being fucking nice to the cashier or the waitress or taking my cart back to the fucking cart thing, you know, I put myself as service as much as possible and like I said, I've got a beautiful life. I've got a wonderful job where I get to help others. I've got amazing friends who have carried me through some of the fucking hardest things I've ever had to go through. And I have a connection to a higher power and I no longer feel this lack of connection, this lack of love, you know? Um, I finally have like everything like I said before, everything is fine the way it is right now in this moment. And I never thought I would have that kind of presence, but um, that's how I did it. That's kind of my life. Um, <laughs> thank you for letting me share. <laughs>